Once again, spring has blossomed into summer, and June is upon us. Thus begins the annual discourse about who and what pride is for, and how that ought to be expressed. Most superficially, we see a nearly universal contempt for shallow, empty, rainbow capitalism. The exploitation of queer identities and aesthetics for almost expressly marketing purposes, embodied almost too perfectly in the cringeworthy splash of rainbow colors on otherwise staid and minimalist corporate logos, which conspicuously all revert back to their original forms come July 1st. To leftists, this cheap marketing and corporate self-congratulation are understood to be the manifestation of capitalism's uncanny ability to commodify almost every social movement, every human condition, into something consumable and profitable. To reactionaries, the phenomenon is indicting evidence for their overarching fascist conspiracy theory, that is, that LGBTQ plus equality is part of an insidious agenda being promoted by a cabal of globalist elites against the will of the real majority of Americans. Meanwhile, queer people wring their hands as only the most cis-passing, able-bodied, and financially privileged among us are chosen as our representatives. Yet the dangers of rainbow capitalism are insidious, precisely because this phenomenon trickles down from the level of mass culture to weaken our entire movement. Some interesting points to ponder as we head into Pride 2022. Hello again, everybody. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb, and this is the Transporter Room, the convergence of sports, transness, sci-fi, gaming, all things nerd and geek, and a lot of other stuff in the voice that you just heard was that of Evelyn Bell Scott Slifka. Now, she's a cultural commentator. She's a proud trans woman. She's a good friend of mine. She has some things to say. Now, if you want to check out the written version, this came from an article that she wrote this week. We're going to have that link in the liner notes. Also, the audio of her delivering what she wrote. We're going to place this audio in its entirety Transporter Room 10 forward. Now, some of you know I had a birthday recently, and over the last weekend, went on a little victory lap, was out on what they call America's Roller Coast. Cedar Point, Ohio, me and my good friend Cassie were there, and had a great time. Got to send out a shout out to a special group of people who took care of me and my bestie over the weekend. The crew at another Broken Egg Cafe under the leadership of their general manager, Alexandra Kalpadakis. I just want to say you did great. That's some of the big, best breakfast you're going to have. And if you ever find yourself around Sandusky, you want to hit them up. They'll get your day started right. And they put us out on a great start. Like I said, we're in Cedar Point. The roller coasters were insane. But what was also insane is that legislation that got passed in Ohio, that House Bill 151 that got passed late last week under a lot of people's nose. Now, Republicans with some political aspirations, including Governor Mike DeWine, who is kind of eyeing that 2024 presidential contest, they passed this bill that would ban transgender girls and women from interscholastic and intercollegiate sports 
and it would call for, let's say that you had a player in the other team that was playing kind of too good that day, you could challenge them and guess what? Have them take a chromosome test and a genital inspection. Don't take my word for it. It's in the bill, and the copy of the bill will be in the liner notes. Oh, there's plenty of shame to go around. Let's talk about Florida as I'm Ron DeSantis, and I'm running for president, does it again. You know, he just couldn't stop with, you know, banning trans kids from school sports in that state and the don't say gay bill. But now he, through his head of health and human services, has decided that if you're on Medicare in Florida, guess what? They don't have to treat you if you need affirming transgender health care. And that goes for anybody, no matter what age. So now they're messing with people like me, adults. Oh boy, the things people will do to be elected president of the United States. And, oh, the hits just keep coming from Florida. The Tampa Bay Rays baseball team had a pride night. And five members of the team, led by pitcher Jason Adam, didn't want to be a part of it. They didn't want to be, they didn't want to have a rainbow patch on their jersey. Now, I agree with Sid Ziegler on this one. You know, the front office has to come up and say, look, this is a vote of the team. We either we all do it or we don't do it. But if the team majority decides we're doing it, everybody's wearing one. And Sid's right. Management's got to communicate and get the team on board and say, look, there's going to be a pride night no matter what you do. If you want to be a part of it, here's the way you can be. On the other side, um, Alex Raymer talked about the New England Patriots on their Twitter when they showed a picture of Gillette Stadium all done up in rainbow. And, you know, some people, you know, those usual tweets, they happen every Pride, no matter if you support Pride in any way to perform, there's always going to be one, two, or 500 people who say, well, I'm not supporting you again because you support you support turning our kids gay and, and you support them you support them gays and yada, yada, yada. It's like every NFL team goes through this. I give respect for the Patriots as an organization saying, fine, we'll clap back on you. We'll, we're going to just clap back on you. We're going to stick to our guns. I, I can respect that. And how about a few Carly Webb shout outs this week? First, shout out to Haley Davidson. She was our guest last week. Didn't make the cut at the Colorado Open. Had a rough go there in Denver. But she had to do a lot just to get to, to qualify and get in that tournament. Next up, she's readying for Q School. And I'm going to say it. She needs your help. So I'm going to put a little link to her GoFundMe in the liner notes. In fact, I'm going to put a lot of links on the on the liner notes of some ideas where instead of buying that $50 or $100 mojito at some pride thing or spending $100 or up to $200 on that concert ticket, here's what you can do. Give up a little bit of that pride merch this year and put some of that money in the pockets of the organizations that can use it. Or... LGBTQ people that use it, especially some trans people. And a shout out to Justine Lindsay. Now, you probably heard about her the last few days. The Carolina Panthers selected her for their cheerleading squad for the upcoming season. And she will be the NFL's first ever 
transgender cheerleader. Justine, you have an open invitation to come on the transporter room. I'd love to be beam you up and talk about football, fashion, and anything else. And a shout out to the North London Thundercat Black Metal Bicycle Club and their Thundercrit series. Now, Thundercrit series does something completely different. They decide, let's change classification sports. They have two classifications for their races. Fixed gear criteriums. They have a thunder category. And the thunder category is for non-binary people and trans people whose performance corresponds with those of cisgender men who regularly race. And there's a lightning classification, which is for trans and non-binary people whose performance corresponds with cisgender women who regularly race. Well, the Thundercrit series had a couple races this weekend and certain cyclist who's become known in Britain, certain kid named Emily Bridges, did pretty well. She was second in one race and she won the other race and the race that she won it was her finishing first, girlfriend finishing second, and and a cis woman finished right behind them in third place. And of course, the daily fail just had to make to had to make you know do what they do. They did another big transphobic article that's trying to sell you that Emily Bridges is this big fire-breathing dragon from Wales who wants to burn women cycling. The hysteria is unreal. And I give a lot of credit to the organizers of the Thundercrit series of immediately clapping back, putting out a statement and saying, simply put, these are our rules. The Daily Mail wrote a lot of nonsense when they don't even know our rules and don't know our series. We ask you to sit down and, well, really, shut up. Amen to that. And Emily Bridges also spoke out on Tuesday. In an exclusive interview with ITV, she basically did this week what Leah Thomas did a couple weeks ago, which is tell her story, give her side of it, and say her piece. Here's an excerpt of what she had to say. What would you say to those women who believe that you should never be allowed to compete against other women? I understand how, how you feel like how hard you're fighting is is justified in in the way that you've grown up with fewer opportunities than than male athletes. Um, I, I empathise with with where you're coming from. Empathise why you feel potentially threatened by my inclusion. Why it might feel like the patriarchal structures that govern cycling and society in general. Uh, it's another thing, how you can feel it's another thing that's being pushed on you and it's another thing you've got to fight against. But those same structures, those same attitudes are the same things that push me down, push, pushed me into the closet that I couldn't be myself. And it's, it, it's, the, it's the same things that, that affects me. We will have a link to the complete interview in the liner notes. And speaking of the UK, the home of the Prime Minister with the world's worst haircut, that's where our first guest is from this week. Now, this guest first came on my radar three years ago. 
We've talked a great deal about turf island on this show, especially in recent weeks, because after all, remember, it was a certain notorious, well-known British turf who, along with her minions, jumped on a British Airways flight, flew across an ocean, came to Atlanta, and came to an American college swim meet just to harass one person just because that student-athlete just happened to be trans. Boo hiss. But amid Turf Island, there's actually a lot of voices of resistance. In fact, they say that the, the anti-trans voices in many ways are the minority. We've had a few of those voices on this show a few weeks ago. We had Natalie Washington from Football versus Transphobia on the show, and she was saying that in many ways, it's a minority. And more and more, I'm finding that to be true. And there's another group that, that was on this show a couple months back. Our good friends from my favorite association football team, Truck United FC. And they had another charity match this past weekend. And in that charity match, they signed a special player who I think was more than worth her transfer fee. Little Emily was on that team. And little Emily had a big game. And you don't need me to tell you about it because she's here to tell you about it. Emma Williams and my American cousin, Emily, direct from the United Kingdom. Welcome to the transporter room. Energize. Hi. 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 Well, I got to say, first off, Emily, I've been dreaming about this meeting for a couple of years. <laughs> it is so happy to finally have the person I call my American cousin here at the transporter room. But first, a hat trick, three goals against Springfield Road, three. Sorry, three goals. <laughs> what in the world did you? I mean, even your dog is excited about that. Walk me through it. Tell me about your big night against Springfield Road. Uh, it was great. We traveled from all the way in a small town in the UK, all the way down through London to like the very bottom. And the travel was, it was more than worth the game because the hat trick, it was all worth it. I was brought on in the 82nd minute and to take a penalty. And I ended up scoring it. It was a great penalty. And I had two goals there along with that. So wait a minute. They brought you in near the end of the game. Yeah. They brought you in and you and if I understand it right, you scored, you did all your damage in the final minutes and in extra and in penalty time. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Of the three goals, which which was the nicest looking goal that you scored? I'm going to be honest, the penalty was like the best one because everyone was going on about it because like it was Kevin to go like I was the honest story behind it was I was trying to hit it in like the top left but I kind of like slipped a little bit on my right foot before I kicked it and it and it went really low but it, it made the keeper stand still the, the keeper didn't really do much against it but I just said at the end of the game, a goal's a goal. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
despite the fact that it was a 10-5 loss, it, it was a great night. And from what Truck United has said all over their Twitter, they were just so happy to. It seems like this is something they've been trying to plan for quite some time to get you to get you in a match and get you on the team. How did it finally come about now? I I was shocked when I realized I was I was put onto the onto the team to play, even though it was only like a trade match and I was very happy to play. I was just in shock nearly the whole time. And when I was brought on the first time, I was just really, really excited. Because, like, it's not every day you get to go on a huge football pitch to to see, like, all of the people who you aspire to be, like, and get to play with them all. It, it was... It was just a great moment in general. I know that things have been difficult in many ways. Yeah. For you, give, I mean, take me through it through a young person's eyes. What is it like being trans in your country now? Uh, as of right now, as a trans person in the UK, it's become a bit difficult with how the governments have been Set like trying to take away our rights bit by bit, and it's been a lot like really scary because if something did happen, it's like we've got nowhere to go. We we we'd have no escape. But I know through my eyes, I I know that nothing bad will happen. But we are going to have to fight extremely hard. But throughout everything that's been going on in the UK with trans violence, not just through youth, and, but like all others as well, it's it's been difficult for, for all of us. But we've just got to fight against it. How important has it been for you to have your mom be as as strong as she's been? Oh, it's it's been it's been lovely because she's helped me get through everything. She's took me everywhere. Whenever once we went to the football match, she didn't think for one second to to say what about like think about the travel and how far we've got to go. She just she just said, "We'll we'll make sure we get there on time. We we'll make sure we can get there and have a place to stay over the night." And me mum's amazing. She always brings a smile to my face every morning. What's it been like being Emily's mom and having to deal with the things you've dealt with, but also dealing with a body politic that seems to be highly anti-trans, a media that's been anti-trans, and a society that, at least on the surface, to those of us looking outside of it, as decidedly anti-trans. What's it been like for you as a mom navigating yeah. this? It's, it's very tough because I think some people think that what the government say and people in the House of Lords say 
um, and the media, they think it doesn't affect regular people on the street. And the fact of the matter is, it does. And a member of the House of Lords on Twitter called Emily a threat to other girls when she was 10 years old. Um, so we've had this against us for a long time. But it's been the last year that it's had a massive effect on Emily's real day-to-day life. Um, her school became, a position in school just became impossible for her to stay. It started off with bullying and the most horrendous translators. Um and then went on to assault, and then it got to a point where the school admitted themselves they can't guarantee her safety. Wait a minute, wait, wait a minute. Did I hear that right? Mm. A school says that they can't guarantee a safety, the safety of the student. Where do you live, England or Texas? <laughs> I know, I know. Um, so it's affected her being able to go to school and that really upset me personally because it maybe it was a bigger deal than it should have been but it was a big deal for me for Emily to be able to be in secondary school right the way through to the finish and to have all the experiences that all the other children get to have and I, I think it's desperately desperately unfair that she didn't get to have those opportunities because she wasn't safe and with the way things are she's been assaulted by a group of boys where we live um yeah it's it the things that are being said by the press week in week out and it's relentless it's having a huge effect on these kids, a huge effect. And people that say it doesn't are liars. I would say the last year, it's absolutely took chunks out of my kids and it's just desperately unfair. She just wants to be the same as everybody else and to have the same opportunities. Hearing that, Two things you said that really touched me. One is just hearing that. And just as a person who loves two things, loves sports and loves kids, and also works for an organization here in the States, which directly is dealing with these things that you're talking about. But also the other thing we said, football helps Emily's mental health. Now, there are are a bunch of state governors in the United States who I would love to hear you say that to. Because right now we're going through it in our country. We just had we just had one of our largest states put up a law that calls for a ban. I've, I ranted about it at the beginning of this show. Put up a ban basically on trans girls to play scholastic and collegiate sport here. But also this law calls for check it out. Somebody can challenge a girl and have her go through a chromosome exam and an internal genital inspection. Oh as part God. of the law. Yes, as, as part of the law. The stuff the IOC stopped doing in the 90s. Yeah. 
I'm lost for words with that. It's just, it's disgraceful. It's absolutely disgraceful. But what worries me with that is that you're going to have cisgender girls being checked. Oh. And you're going to have them or possibly their parents blaming the trans community for it rather than siding with them. I need a, I need a mom's perspective on, I'm going to give you a phrase right now. I want to get your perspective on this phrase. Huge problem to a sane world. Yeah. Gut well, reaction. We don't live in a sane world, clearly. Clearly we do not. If people are saying that kind of thing, it knocked me that sick. Um, and I was lost for words for a long time. And the words I've got are very pretty. In some respects, you see something like that. And I've got to be honest, it feels like we're living in Nazi Germany. I don't feel like we're living in the UK in 2020. And I'm just absolutely sick of these people. And that's the nicest thing I can call them is these people. Trying to over a group of people and trying to just kick at people and bully people and and trying to make out that people are a problem when they're not when the people the people that are saying these things are everything that is wrong with the world absolutely everything that's wrong with the world and i i think they're an absolute fucking disgrace to humanity i really do now that even raised Emily's eyebrows when you say that, but it hurt. It makes me sick to have to hear a mom say say that my kid is not a threat. My kid's not my kid's not a threat. I've been saying I've been to say that for a long time. A long time, and it's ridiculous because and all she's ever tried to do is help people. When she started school, she started an LGBT club because there wasn't one. And she did everything she could for the community within the school. She's done campaign after campaign since she was 10 years old. But yet people are saying that she is the problem. I don't see how the hell she can be the problem when she's trying to fix things and trying to make things better. I, I think these people... are. They're disgusting. They're absolutely disgusting. I'm inclined to agree, but there's one thing I do want to know. Emily, I want to hear this from you. How exactly did you get here? When did you realize, I'm Emily, and I need to be Emily? How'd you get here? This all started when I was only three. <laughs> so we're going back 11 years. Um. Oh... It kind of started as at toy stores when we used to go. I would always say to me mum and dad, you know, I'm secretly a girl and I'm not a boy. And whenever they'd get me, like, the male's toys, I would always, like, have tantrums in the shops. Yeah. And I, uh, every now and again it would go my way. But I, it, my mum and dad at first thought it was a phase because of how young I was. 
and it only took a few more years for him to realize it's it's not a phase. It's it, it's gonna keep going until I I, I get it until no, until they get it. And uh, once he did, I think I was seven, and I was like transitioned to home, but it. It wasn't until I was eight years old I transitioned out like to the public, and ever since that day I knew I, I, like what I'd have to do to get people to be okay with me. I'd, like the fighting I'd have to do, the all of the things I'd have to like do to like try and get people's attention to say like, um. We're, we're all good. There's nothing bad about us. And all of the campaigning we've had to do, I uh, I knew it would it would come. After like the first few times I went to like, you know, Pride, like a few marches and stuff like that. I knew that the harder we fight and the more common things like that like that stuff would happen would become the more people would start to understand. Well, and, yeah, yeah. I, I know. Is that it was like it was a campaign you put together with mermaids that I saw that and I was like, I need to know who this kid is because <laughs> it was just it was beautiful way put together. But the thing that struck me, in fact, I even wrote a poem about it was just the way your voice sounded. Because when I heard you speaking, I heard me at 12 years old. I heard myself. But mom, how did you adjust to all this? I mean, initially, it was a lack of knowledge, a lack of understanding when she was first telling us who she who she is and she was relentless for three years she relentlessly told us in increasingly more more and more advanced language and would try and find different and more inventive ways for us to understand mom i'm a girl and you are not listening to me and it's not it's not an easy part of Emily's history for me because I let her down for three years. I didn't listen and I know it was because I didn't understand what I let her down. I, I, I badly let her down for those years and um, she got to a point where the the way I describe it is she was like a shell of a child. There was nothing left anymore. She was weepy. She didn't want to go out the house. She she was just miserable. She wouldn't even look people in the eye. She didn't have friends. And then she transitioned and everything changed. Everything changed. She she became it was like someone had breathed life into her and she was happy and yeah, she would look people in the eye <laughs> and would smile at people and I know it's only little tiny things but 
But when your kid's not doing that and they're so lost, yeah, it's sorry. <laughs> it's, yeah. I, I, I do regret that I let it down, but it, it was down to just lack of knowledge and lack of information. And it's another one of the reasons that we're so vocal because if just one family hears us and it helps one set of parents and their child, then then that's everything to me. That's that that is everything. If I can prevent another kid going through what she went through and another parent feeling so lost and you know not having any understanding or, or the, the you know the lack of visibility. Yeah, if if I can just save one family from that, then I'm exceptionally happy. Now, uh, <laughs> you ought to see the hug right here. In fact, in the video version, you will see the hug right here. Emily, in both our countries, there are people actively legislating against us. There are people that are actually trying to tell us that we don't want you to live as you are. And in the middle, there's so many people that really don't know and don't understand or may be in the same place where your mom was a few years ago where their kid is just, their child has just come out to them and they don't, and they don't know what to do. And they're just confused. If you had a chance to get those people in front of you right now, what would you tell them? I would just educate them. That's that. That's all. I, that's all I'd have to. That's all I'd have to say. I I, I want to educate. Yeah, I want you to spread it, and I want you to try your hardest to help people understand. Picking on minorities can destroy someone's mental health. It can. It can attack them from deep down and they have to just act fine. And there's not a lot of people who have got those supportive parents and they have to kind of just sit there and take what, what gets thrown at them. And they can only have certain friends or specific people they can go to to get that information and to try and just to talk. It, it can, I, I would just want to educate them. I got to say, this is, for me, this has been awesome having you here. And I'm going to ask you something. Ourself, between myself and between Truck United, I'm putting out a call. If you're trans and you play soccer in the United States, Truck United FC has a, has a team. I want to put together an American side. And we want to play a game against Truck United. So all, all the trans people in the United States, in North America, if you play the world's game, if you play the beautiful game, I want you to DM me at the Transporter Room Twitter page or at Transporter Room 10 Ford on Instagram. Or you can DM my personal page. If you're trans and if you play, we want you to be a part of Team Trans USA because we want to make this game happen. And should that game happen, Emily, 
will you be wearing the kit of Truck United that day? Because I'll tell you right now, when that day happens, I will be wearing a Truck U I will be wearing a Team Trans USA kit. And I would look forward and I would be honored to try and tackle you on the pitch. <laughs> I I would be I would be honored to to get to play a game like that. I, I think that is a great idea. I, I'd like to see it happen. I think it'd be a great game. Well, you've heard it here. Lu Lucy, Natalie, Blair, Phoebe Rose, Katie Montgomery. Let's make this happen. Emily Williams, Emma Williams, thank you for being on the transporter room. This has been, this is the way a pride should be. And I thank you both <laughs> oh, for being here. Oh, it's been lovely talking to you. Absolutely lovely. Thank well, you. Well, I'm going to beam you back down to England. Keep doing what you're doing and keep fighting the good fight. And everyone, when we come back, we have a legend coming on the show, a transports legend that... Some of you may not know about, but this dodgeball player from Canada has been on the front lines, not only as an athlete, but also as an actress. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. This is The Transporter Room. Stay with us. And welcome back to the Transporter Room. I'm your host, Carly Chardonnay-Webb. And for our second guest, we head up to Canada this week. And Canada's having a good run in sports right now. Um, as they often say in Canada, the national teams have a slogan, Own the Podium. And if you're watching the Olympics in Tokyo last summer, you found that a lot of Canadians did. My personal obsession, starting starting up this month, in fact, started this starting this week, the CFL returns to town, Canadian football, 12 men, three downs, 55-yard line. It will be back. Go Argos. And there's Canada's World Cup team. It took them 36 years, but they're going to go to Qatar and represent Canada in a World Cup. Also, note to Canada soccer, pay the boys. Pay them. You shouldn't have to go on strike for a World Cup. Sit down, negotiate a deal, give them their money. <clears throat> and we can't bury the lead. For trans people like myself, Canada has a lot of sources of pride, including the first trans and non-binary Olympic medal winner, Quinn, midfielder for Canada's women's soccer team, who pulled off two huge upsets for a miracle on grass. A memo to CBC, get the made-for-TV movie ready now. But also, that great moment was built on the backs of some, of some Canadian pioneers, put in the work and fought the fights. People such as a Kristen Worley, who took on the archaic rules of the IOC at the beginning of trans inclusion and took them all the way to Canada's highest court and won. And another pioneer, who fought a parallel fight right alongside Worley to be affirmed as the woman she is to play the sports that she loved in two different sports. And she too won her fight and won her fight 
on the most unusual of courts. Dodgeball. Yes, that right. That's right. The game that excited us but also terrified us as kids. And Savannah Burton is one of the best players in the world. Burton represented Canada in, in world dodgeball on the men's side, but also after finding her truth and affirming it, a lifelong truth that she struggled with after going to a world championship and finishing second in 2012, she took a couple years out of the way to take care of herself and came back to Team Canada in 2015 playing as the woman she is. Burton also took on the International Dodgeball Federation, which adopted the then IOC rules, which mandated surgery to compete, and she won her case. And Savannah, after a few years away, is back in the saddle again. She's prepared to compete at Canada's national championships next week in Edmonton. And I am honored to have this pioneer here on our forum. Direct from Toronto, we're beaming you up. Savannah Burton, welcome to the Transporter Room. Energize. Thank you so much for having me. That was a wonderful introduction. Thank you so much for that. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to be here. This is, uh, yeah, this is a thrill. Well, I can say it's a high honor for me because you're, without you in many ways, there's no me. There's no CeCe Telfer's. There's no Leah Thomas's. Without a Kirsten Worley, there's none of us either fighting those fights back then, which is going to make the door a little bit more open for those who come after us. So first off, I just want to say thank you. And I know you're going to kick some butt in Edmonton, but first things first, dodgeball. How is this dodgeball different from the dodgeball we played in gym class or tried to duck out of when we were in gym class? Right, exactly. Like everybody's heard of dodgeball. Everybody has probably played it in um, middle school or, or whatever. Um, but nobody really knows a lot about the, the adult leagues that started in the mid 2000s. Um, it's, it, it's grown a lot. Uh, some of the basics are there's two teams. Uh, each team is on one side of each, uh, each team on either side of the court, there's a middle line, it's a hard middle line that you cannot cross, you can go up to it to throw, but there's six dodgeballs. That's something that a lot of people don't realize that there's a lot of action going on, but with six dodgeballs, there's a lot of strategy involved as well. If you go up and throw all the balls away and you give the other team six balls, then they're gonna just target your best player and get them out. So uh, there's a lot more strategy than people realize in this sport. Um, it's not just all about uh, throwing. Like it, it, it's not like if you if you can only if you can't throw, then you can't play. Because there's dodging involved, there's catching involved, there's blocking with the, one of the balls uh, involved, and there's there's so many different skills to learn. So it's the evolution of dodgeball in the last fifteen years has just been incredible. It's growing globally. Uh, there's other than the, the national championships that's coming up. There's a there's a big world championship coming up with the first time that Europe is going to be coming um, to play at the WD the World Dodgeball Federation. So it's it's 
there's exciting times ahead of dodgeball. Well, I've got off, off track a little bit with COVID, but it's it's coming back uh, with a vengeance. And I'm super excited to, to be back playing dodgeball. I wasn't sure if I was going to come back. But, you know, COVID has taken so much from us, and, and I didn't want it to be something that ended my dodgeball career. So I kind of want to go out on my own terms. So I'm, I'm really excited to, to still be playing. Uh, I'm excited with um, with the team I have this year. And I think we, we have a really good chance to do well. Um, everybody can tune in and watch it on uh, Twitch TV. Uh, Twitch.tv forward slash Dodgeball TTV uh, from June 17th to the 19th. Uh, with the playoffs being on, uh, on the 19th of June. Well, we're going to keep, in fact, that'll be in the liner notes underneath our Twitter page here at the Transporter Room. But you're talking about retirement? You're not even 40 yet. What are you talking about, re retirement? <laughs> well, it's, uh, I, well, our, the age thing is a bit, uh, a bit tricky. But the thing is, um, you know, it's hard to walk away from the sport that you love. Like, I've been involved in, in team sports mostly, but. Um, I've been involved with sports since I was a young child. Um, and, uh, after, after my transition, the, the friendships that I've made with, with the girls that I play with on my dodgeball team is, is something that's really special and important to me. And, uh, having that with respect to dodgeball and, and, if I left the game, I don't know how, if those relationships would still be at, at the level they are. And, and that's probably the hardest thing to give up more so, even more so than playing, is, uh, is the people and the friends and friendships and the great times that we have together when we're, we go on a road trip to play dodgeball somewhere. That, that's, that's even more important than the game almost, for me. Uh, at this point, I, I just, uh, yeah, the girls are just amazing, and I'm super excited to play again. In covering a lot of different sports, one thing I've noticed is the sports that are considered the quote-unquote fringe sports are the most open. Dodgeball is, I mean, dodgeball, I was, I was watching a few documentaries on you and some news coverage about you in the past. And it just seems like, for the most part, you the vitriol levels just aren't there. If anything, you've got, like, there was one part in one of the documentaries where someone says, oh, that, like, there's that one girl on the team has got a great arm, but also there's that other girl. That's almost unfair. And I thought they were talking about you, and the next thing you talk about, no, it's your teammate who throws underhand and throws a puts a lot of fast pitch softball into it. And that ball does like things you could get burned at the stake for in a me in, in medieval times. And I was like, Oh, I didn't see that. I didn't see that coming. What is it about dodgeball and other sports like it that seem to just be more open? Well, shout out to Jocelyn Brewer. Cause that was a girl that they were talking about and she's representing Canada again this year. So, um, uh, she and she's on my team actually in Edmonton. So um, that's yeah, it, it's great to play with her. She's awesome. Uh, the openness with dodgeball, I think a lot of it comes 
from some of the leagues. Like one of the biggest league in the United States is is WeHo.com, West Hollywood, uh, run by Jake Mason in uh, Los Angeles, and it's just a massive league. It's LGBTQ positive. Uh, it's and they also run a, a Sin City Big Dodgeball Tournament in Las Vegas every uh, every January, I believe it is. And it's it's just all encompassing. Like people are super friendly in, in this sport. It's it's you would think that you know people throwing at each other and uh, would have some animosity, but people are just open and friendly and they've been incredibly accepting towards me. Like I. I guess I did kind of have a reputation playing before um, where I did do a lot of traveling and I've, I've met a lot of people and, and I guess people had respect, a lot of respect for my game and me as a person. So I think that certainly helped. But uh, when I did tra uh, transition and come back to dodgeball, there was, there was no rules in place. There was no uh, idea of what to do with me uh, or how to accept me and, and it just came came along where where I was accepted. Um, they had the right rules, I guess, in place to be, to for trans athletes. Um, but you know, one of the things about being in a team sport and being uh, on Team Canada was I, you couldn't win your way on there. You had to be selected. So actually, being selected by a selection committee, uh, being out as a trans woman in 2015 was uh, like, I didn't know what my chances were. I knew I did well in the tryout, but how is that going to play with respect to people's ideas of if I was eligible to play or if I was going to, if they were going to select a team. So um, it was kind of surprising and kind of wasn't surprising. I was really, I was so glad to get the call that, um, that I made the team back in 2015. It was, uh, it was super exciting and super affirming uh, because I had walked away from Dodgeball. I wasn't sure if I was going to come back and play uh, when I decided to work on myself and, and go through this transition. So it's, it was an incredible time. It was kind of um, a bit of a crazy time just mentally to be back playing dodgeball, back playing in the women's team uh, in Las Vegas with these great dodgeball players. And um, there was like a whirlwind of media during that time as well. And um, one, of, one of the challenges that I, like when I kind of look back on is that it was kind of like a vacuum. It kind of sucked all the energy away from everything else that was going on. And it was more focused on me. And, and I don't think that was completely fair with, with my teammates or the, the dodgeball organization or, the World Dodgeball Federation. It was, it was nice to get get the word out and, and have representation out there at the World Championships. Now, looking back at that, when you when you made the comeback, how I mean, how did it play out with your team? What was it initially like for you to come back in and say? I'm Savannah, here I am, let's play ball. How did it work out with like your league, your team, the people you're close to, people in the game? Yeah, I think 
like I was so involved with dodgeball. Dodgeball is like a year round thing. There's no, like, there's no break. So once you take a step back from dodgeball, it's noticed. They don't see people don't see you around. And after I guess close to a year, I made a actual a post on Facebook about coming out and one of the one of the lines I said in the Facebook post was to my dodgeball um, to my dodgeball friends, I'll see you on the court. It was kind of like one of the last things I said in my spiel of coming out on Facebook and the amount of support that I got was just incredible. So many dodgeballers just chimed in and people from my, my whole life really um, just had so much support for me on, on Facebook. And uh, that was incredible. And uh, it was still a few months, I think, before I came back and played in league. And the, that first night back was just very terrifying, <laughs> very terrifying to come back and see what, what the reaction in, in real life was going to be like. But people were super supportive, and it was so much fun just to get back playing dodgeball and throwing the ball and catching and just playing with my team. Yeah, it was it was just really a wonderful experience. And there was only a few months before the tryout happened for Team Canada after that. So I, I was still not at my peak level. I was still kind of re, not necessarily relearning the game, but getting my skills back in place. But it was, they did some skill competitions during the tryout and some scrimmages and things like that. And there wasn't a lot of players, like there was only eight players selected for the 2015 team. And there were alternates uh, as well. But there, it was, back then it was a very exclusive team. There wasn't a lot of players that they, they took. Uh, it's much, there's much more players now, which is great. It was a whirlwind, that's for sure. It was an exciting time. Uh, and I look back on those years fondly. What was the toughest part for you physically about coming back into the game? Because I can I say often, estrogen is a life-enhancing substance. substance. It certainly isn't a performance-enhancing one. I'm dealing with that right now. What was it like for you physically to try to get your to try and learn essentially a new body? And be, be out there and play. Yeah, that it was significant. I'll, I'll have to say, uh, I was certainly getting winded a lot earlier. My throwing wasn't as like I wasn't throwing as hard as I was. Like I was getting caught more than uh, than I was used to. Like pre-transition, I wasn't getting caught much at all. I was I was very I had a very dominant throw, and uh, that changed. Changed a fair amount. I, like I, I still could throw really well just because I had the proper mechanics. I, I played baseball most of my life, so uh, learning those skills really uh, carried over into dodgeball uh, very well. With that. But yeah, the the being winded, just not having the strength, uh, the endurance, the recovery factor, all, all that stuff had a significant factor when it come when it came to the difference in my ability. Uh, yeah, it, it was a little disconcerting for sure, but I was, it made it all worth it just because I was playing with these amazing ladies on the, on the national program and, 
and in my house league and uh, just regular league teams, everybody was was so supportive. Like I, I remember, I talked to one girl at, after, like uh, we went out for, to a pub after one of the games, and I told her, you know, I was really nervous about coming. I wasn't sure how that was going to go. And she said, "Well, if anybody said anything to you, that they, they would have had to deal with all of us." <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of uh, nice to nice to hear and. It's like I really haven't dealt with much in dodgeball at all. That people, if they have had feelings towards me, then they haven't verbalized it to me. It's all, it's, I haven't heard anything negative said to me directly. So, what's been the more difficult part of life to navigate as a trans woman, sport or entertainment? Ah, uh, wow. I think sport came back fairly fairly easily the acting thing was a bit of a challenge just because it was very early on when like there wasn't a lot of trans actors out there uh, I came back to my acting coach who I'd had for years uh, after I transitioned um, shout out to Louis Bomander who's an amazing coach in Toronto um, he he said to me, you know, this is probably about five years away from having some work or being able to get jobs for trans women. And, and I'm not sure if he said that particular term, but um, but he was right. He was absolutely right that, you know, there was, it was going to take some time before um, the entertainment industry caught up to this. So there's, there's a lot of shows out there now, which is great. But 2015, there was not a lot, or 2014, 15, there was just not a lot of stuff going on. Um, yeah, so even getting some work during before that time was was uh, it was it felt really great. One thing I do want to touch on though, because as you're getting ready for these championships coming up in the next week, in that country just below you. Trans people playing a sport has become an issue that's deciding who people are voting for. Uh, another state just called for another state, Ohio, just passed yet another ban on trans women and girls playing in their playing for their schools or playing for their colleges. And the law includes things that the IOC got rid of 30 years ago. And, of course, there was the much to do about Leah Thomas down here. Gut reaction as an athlete. Your thoughts on, really, on the rancor that you've heard from your neighbors to the South on this issue. It's, it's really terrible. Like I, I don't know if I can say it in a more negative term. It's... Uh, you can say it in any terms yeah. you want on this forum. You yeah, these, these politicians is they, are they they just have no floor. They have no bottom to things that they would do. Um, they know this is a wedge issue that they want to put out there. They want they'll do it. Basically, they're not experts in trans reputation sport. All they are is experts in getting reelected, and they're doing. They're picking on such a, a, a small community 
that is already struggling with so many issues in life. And to just, just to be that kind of a bully out there when you don't have to be. The bathroom bill was something that conservative politicians coined. It was not something that uh, trans people came up with. That That's their term. It's their way of demonizing us and othering us and making us feel less than human. And they realized that it got a lot of traction with people. Scaring voters, I guess, is the best way to get them to vote for it, it's it's a, it's a terribly unfortunate thing to be doing, to making demonizing children really. But like I say, the, the conservative politicians, of many of them down in the United States, they just have no floor that they're willing to go through. I think a lot of it is the, the, like the Trump effect as well. People are okay with being um, terrible people in public now. It's like. It's almost like Trump said, "Oh, that's okay. You can do that. I do that. So you you can be like me. You can you can say horrible things to people, to complete strangers, just because you don't like them. It, it's it's a way of not being civilized in public, and and it's a terrible thing. Like I think, and that with with the with the COVID punch as well, like the one two punch of Trump and COVID, people are not don't know how to behave in public anymore. It's just." It's just ridiculous how people are acting towards other people now. It's, it's people need to focus on some social skills and, and just try to be a better human. Now, when it came to being a better human, you took that to heart because from the beginning, I mean, even when you were that, even when you when you were that young baseball star in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland. Coming up, you struggled with this. Talk a little bit about that struggle, but also ultimately, what made you decide what what was that what was that point where you got sick and tired of being sick and tired for you? Yeah, uh, my youth was not a, a not a good time. Like I was, baseball was kind of my escape. Um, I love the sport. I played every summer from oh, I was about from nine to very early twenties, um, and it was it was completely an escape. I didn't have to think about my identity or what I was dealing with when I was out there on the diamond, just playing and focusing on on that sport. And you know, I was lucky enough to play in three national tournaments in Canada, uh, representing Newfoundland. Um, but I still had this block where I couldn't actually look into the future. Like, you know, the question of where do you see yourself in five years? Like I just couldn't go there. I, I just, I was really unhappy. Um, and with that, I didn't put all the work in that I could have with respect to baseball. Like I, I was, I was good, but the effort just wasn't there. I wasn't, I didn't really get in shape until I was probably 30 years old. So it was long after my baseball career, and, uh, right around the dodgeball time. So um, it was incredibly challenging growing up in a, in a really small town, 20 to 5,000 people, I think, in this population where I grew up. And it, it's just, 
I felt very isolated there. I felt like I was the only person in the world. I wasn't sure how life was going to work out for me. I didn't know if I wanted to live a long life. Without it. it was just a really difficult time. And I really realized that I had to leave this place and go to a large center where I could be myself. And, and even that took a lot of time to eventually come out and do what I had to do to transition. There was a lot of challenges along the way. Um, I definitely, there's a lot of regrets with baseball where I, I really never came close to my potential. Like I showed glimpses of it, but a lot of it made me be a stronger person. And, you know, a lot of the, with the trans people that I've met, they're some of the strongest, mentally tough people that I've ever met. And I think that needs to get talked about more. You know, it's trans people are special. And to demonize us and to use us as a political football, I think, is, is a, it's just a, a terrible thing to be doing. And I really wish these politicians would reconsider what they're doing. You're now, in many ways, you live in Trans, trans City, Canada. Toronto is a center, in many ways, for the community, not just in Canada, but it's one of the linchpin places for trans people to be in North America. What's the state of being trans in Toronto and in Canada, Canada right now? Uh, yeah, that, that's a, it's a tricky question, I guess. I, I know it's over the years, it, it's gotten better as there's more visibility. Um, but with, with more visibility, there is more pushback. Definitely with respect to the, the negativity uh, south of the border with, with these politicians. There has been some uh, pushback, for sure, over the last few years. I think that the people are less tolerant. Or, um, you just hear more things out on the street. There's there's kind of more misgendering, I, I find, uh, in the last couple of years. I think there's, there's just people more aware of us. Um, yeah, I think, I think Trump and COVID has really kind of set us back a little ways. There has been so much growth and so much representation on, in sports and in entertainment, which I think is, is so vital and important. And people just need to learn, learn more about us and, and hopefully that can make them more accepting and if they can understand where, kind of where we're coming from. You touched on entertainment. We talked a little bit about your, your acting career earlier, mm -hmm. but what is the role that you really want? What is the what is the Savannah Burton dream role? You know, there's a lot of different things that I would, would like to do. Uh, like we were talking, something we were talking about before uh, the show is I I do love sci-fi. Like I'm I'm tall. I'm like six, almost six between six two and six three and. Uh, there's some things that I'd love to do. I'd love to do like play a, a Klingon on uh, Star Trek or something like that. Or, but I, I also think that you know we need to see more trans people playing um, doctors or lawyers or um, on these CSI shows or things like that. Like I mean, why you know, have this this cast? Why can't you have a trans person in the cast? Being just a regular person that you know the trans thing isn't really. Part of the show, it's like it can be for a, a 
the individual episode, but it's not something that they're completely focused on being trans. And we just need to see that more in show. And I don't know why we're not getting that more. Getting seeing that you were on the expanse got me to binge it. <laughs> I'm just wondering what sci-fi are you grooving to right now? If uh, any. I like the Strange New World show that just came out. Uh, um, yeah, like I, I used to love the old Star Trek and and the pilot that never aired with Pike and uh, Spock, number one, and all those people. You kind of get that as a show now from the 1960s. Is um, it's kind of cool, and, and I think it is getting a lot of viewers, which is super great. I'm enjoying that show. Um, yeah, like uh, there's a lot of television that I like. Better Call Saul, Breaking Bad was some of my favorites. Yeah, I love that Mr. Robot, things like that. I, I love sci-fi, nerdy kind of shows. CTV Global, CBC, one one of you. Let's build a sci-fi show around Savannah Burton. How about it? How about let's do crazy. this? Yeah, that sounds pretty amazing. We'd love and, to see. And can I at least get a cameo role on it? Absolutely. That would be wonderful. I'd love to see that. Next week, heading off to the Nationals. And you talked a little bit about your team, but how do you rate your chances at Nationals? Yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot. Uh, what I'm super excited about is there are 22 women's teams going to be competing at Nationals from across Canada. Uh, our team finished second in Ontario at the provincial tournaments. Our team name is Unleashed. We have seven current or former Team Canada players on the team. Um, Ontario has actually won the province or the national championship uh, since the beginning, since 2016. So Ontario is usually the favorite when it comes to that. So, uh, But another great thing is that all these teams from across Canada have had their own provincial tournaments and their, their growth has been incredible. Uh, there's a lot of really good teams out there. Um, when I look at, uh, we have some really great players on our team and we're hoping like we're, we're going to be disappointed if we don't make the finals. Let's put it that way. So, uh, we're excited to get out there and, and play some games. There's going to be a lot of games. I think we played 10 games before the round robin. And the playoffs are going to be on the 19th on, on this Saturday or Sunday? Uh, June 19th and on Twitch. And we're excited to be – I'm going to Edmonton. I've never been to Alberta, so that's another thing. But, yeah, I, I really think we have a good chance – to uh, we have a chance to win this and i'm really excited to play with this team our team name is unleashed so you can track our progress um, on the dodgeball canada website as well as dodgeball on twitch.tv forward slash dodgeball ttv uh, during the 17th of the night oh we're gonna track it but exit question World Dodgeball Federation 
championships. The world, the world championships, they returned to Edmonton. If you got the call from Canada Dodgeball, would you don a maple leaf again? Would you make that trip? I would honestly, I would do that in a second. Um, I think that, you know, they, they pretty much have their team selected. I think there's still outside chances if somebody does well at the, at the national tournament that there's, there's still a chance that they could be added to the team. I'm not 100% sure on that, but um, I absolutely, I would, I would love to. I think this, this world tournament is going to be the biggest ever. Um, I think they're expecting 40 countries to participate. That's that's the hope. There's going to be Europeans over coming over here to the West for the first time. Dodgeball is just, is just going to have this upward movement in the next few years, I think. We talk about trans joy a lot here at the Transporter Room. Where do you find yours? Uh, I find it, you know, when I'm hanging out with my teammates. It's, you know, we get these detractors talking about sport, but what we get out of sport is not necessarily the competition. It's the family that you develop in your sport with the people around you and your teammates and people you go to go into battle with. And um, that is just something that's really important to me. And, and just getting to spend some time with them at the national championships in Edmonton in a little over a week is going to be a, an amazing time. And I'm kind of looking forward to that just about as much as, as the game. So um, just having some competition, seeing the sport grow, uh, getting to see people from all over Canada that I haven't seen in a while is going to be a wonderful experience. And Yeah, I just hope everybody will tune in and check it out and, and see what Dodgeball is all about. Well, we're definitely going to check it out. We're going to check it out on Twitch TV. We're going to keep a, watching what Team Unleashed does out in Edmonton. Here's hoping you come home as a national champ. And, oh, by the way, you're now a friend of the podcast. So, Savannah, we're going to want you back. We're going to want you back in here. Um, perhaps during Worlds, you'll give us a world championship preview. I would love that. I, this has been a wonderful experience. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, I would be happy to come back whenever you want. Well, I'm going to hold you to that. So, I'm going to beam you back down to Toronto. You get ready. Good luck next week in Edmonton. Beaming you back down. And special thanks to Savannah Burton. If you want to know more about her, a couple of documentaries that were done on her are going to be. We're going to link those in the liner notes on our Twitter page. I encourage you to watch them. I encourage you to learn a lot more about this special pioneer in regards to trans inclusion in sport. And I also want to thank all of you for joining us this week on the Transporter Room, our second show during this Pride Month. And just a note, if there's something you want to see or someone you want to see or someone you want to, or something you want to say about what I'm doing here, please leave a message on our Twitter page, leave a message on our Facebook page, and leave a message at Transporter Room 10 Forward, our Instagram page. Remember, everything I do here at the Transporter Room I do for all of you, the people who have supported this show for more than a year now. That's the Transporter Room for this week. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. 
live long and prosper, and steady as she goes. I'll catch you all next week.